Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and join us. Keep wildlife out of your trash. The Wildlife Trash Safe developed by Presby Steel does just that. It is made of 14-gauge steel, welded construction, and holds a 32-gallon trash can or 10 kitchen bags. It has been black bear tested and was developed in conjunction with the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. They are lockable, rollable, and they have free delivery in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Call today, 603-752-3022 or presbysteel.com. That's P-R-E-S-B-Y-S-T-E-E-L.com. Keep the wildlife wild and out of your trash with a wildlife trash safe. Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters the trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime, and the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. GuideFitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. GuideFitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. 
dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief and Wildlife Heritage, a foundation of New Hampshire at nhwildlifeheritage.org and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. So in this Warden's Watch, we are going to do a canine podcast and I was asked to do this, and we have with us uh, Sarah Gardner with uh, the 4-H Dog Program, who's going to talk a little bit about that. I was kind of asked because I am a 4-H Dog Club leader, and with COVID-19, that's taken a bite out of everything in 4-H. So, But when most people think 4-H, they think of the cows, the pigs, the chickens. They don't think dogs. And they really should think dogs, huh, Sarah? Because the dog program's been around for a very long time. Absolutely. The 4-H dog program, at least here in New Hampshire, has been around since uh, the early 1960s. Um, It started in Rockingham County, which is kind of the seacoast area. Um, But it's a program that everyone everyone can do. You don't need 50 acres. You don't need 20 acres. If you have a dog, you can even borrow a dog if you don't have um, one of your own. It's a project that everyone can do because you're not limited on size. Right, because it doesn't matter the size of the dog. You can have a toy dog, you can have a Great Dane, you can have everything else. And what did you show? You can have an All-American, you can have a mixed breed. (laughs) And what did you show? Uh, I started out by (laughs) showing an Afghan hound when 13. That's challenging and grooming. Exactly. (laughs) Afghans were on the bottom of the canine intelligence list. Uh, The Border Collies are number one, and the Afghans are at the very, very bottom, but nobody told me that. (laughs) So, um, but I didn't start with just one. Uh, I showed a single one my first year, but then I got another one. So um, they taught me humility. They taught me training techniques because you can't train a sight hound like you can a retriever or a herding dog. They have their own way of doing things. I then went on to, I borrowed a Dalmatian and uh, I ended when I aged out of 4-H, which is at 18, I was showing a Sky Terrier. So I kind of did a lot of different groups uh, and different 
training abilities of, of dogs while I was, while I was a kid. All breeds I wouldn't even yeah. think about. <laughs> I'll never have an Afghan. Love them to death, but uh, a lot of work uh, goes into maintaining their coat. Right. And conservation and dogs go hand in hand. And John, you certainly have had so much involvement with dogs. I mean, to the point where your life depended on it. Yeah. You know, Wayne, we, we've talked about this a lot. And Sarah, being a fellow dog lover and doing all you're doing on the 4-H side, um, getting into our, our history with, with canines, I had two companion canines in my career, Jordan, who was a yellow lab female American lab. And she was a we didn't get our canine program really rocking and rolling until about 2005, 2006 in California, Fish and Wildlife. So she had four years as uh, a really good companion canine with me and saved my bacon many times, even as a lab with that good nose. Um, then we lost her, unfortunately, to a bone cancer. But canine Apollo, who was my next companion canine that I retired with, really retired with me. She had about nine years of, of being an active duty uh, companion dog and and did a lot of good things. And uh you know, Sarah, we talk about the, the 4-H dog concept of training and showing. And, and like you said, Wayne, we just don't think about that. I mean, I think about growing up in 4-H on the, on the West Coast of California, and I didn't know about the dog programs uh, 4-H had. I wasn't involved in any of it. And knowing now what we do, I certainly want to get more involved and know that this is a, this is a national program where we can all feed on knowledge and, and, and work with dogs and get dog referrals um, outside of, nor- you know, traditional canine channels. The one canine, Wayne, as you know, that we've talked about, and Sarah, this is near and dear to all of us, and talk about a lifesaver, a Belgian Melanon named Phoebe. She passed away at 13 years old a year and a half ago from leukemia, but she was the dog that started off as a dual-purpose apprehension, bite apprehension, detection, and companion dog, and she was one of those Goldilocks dogs, you know, didn't bite too hard, didn't bite too soft, super friendly with officers, playing with the ball, laying on her back, getting tummy scratches like my lab. They played together all the time. She was one of those one in a million canines. And in her career, besides saving all of us on the special operations front, going up against armed drug cartel members in the woods, destroying our environment, she had 116 apprehensions by the time, bite apprehensions by the time she retired, and another 900 apprehensions of dangerous felons in the woods that she didn't have to bite. And she was a, a female male at 70 pounds working in the state of California, which doesn't always add up when you look at those numbers. But, uh, but she was amazing. It was a hard loss. And I know both of you guys, you know, being fellow dog lovers, share that sentiment when you lose a dog that isn't only a great companion, but they literally save our lives, you know, 10, 20, many more times than that. So she, she was a special one and, and one that's near and dear. And uh, we talk about her a lot as well as all our other canines on both sides of the you know east and west coast, Wayne, that you and I work with with our agencies and on our, t- our TV shows. And, and we're going to dedicate this as podcast to Ruby, who is uh, Lieutenant Bill Boudreaux's uh, canine that just passed away oh, this spring. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so it, uh, he, he did an interview with me and uh, certainly misses her, part of the family, as we all know. So that's we're going to do this uh, with the 4-H, and we're going to do it for Ruby. So we're going to interview him as well as... Uh, James uh, Benvenuti, who handles Cora, and then uh, we're going to do part two. We're going to we're going to get the other two handlers involved and get get them all together and uh, do a do a two part canine podcast. But the four Hers are going to have something to do when they listen to this, aren't they, Sarah? They're not getting off uh, <laughs> scot free. No, definitely not getting off scot free. So four H, the kids learn about the training aspects of their dog 
through those training aspects, they learn uh, responsibility, they learn time management, they learn a lot of dog knowledge. So they learn everything from the medical side of it to breeds, to breed history, to where breeds originate from, and what were they bred to do? And I mentioned I had sight hounds. Well, they know that there's two different type of hounds. There's the sight hounds, which are the Afghans, the greyhounds, but then there's the, the working dogs, the bloodhounds that they're used for tracking. So they know and they're, they're taught and they, they learn, they have this self-drive to, to learn more about everything dog-related. They're quizzed on their knowledge. So uh, Anne has been very, very uh, open to coming up with a quiz for these kids. So once they listen to the podcast, they're going to be given a quiz. <laughs> uh, what, what was discussed. So um, I think they're going to love it. These kids, they're so dog-driven um, that they will suck up anything dog related. I think doing this podcast, I think they're going to be really excited to learn about the working dogs in New Hampshire fishing game and, and throughout the country that, that Wayne brings in. Sarah, it's so, it's so awesome that we're getting the kids exposed to this early, right, Wayne? Cause oh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is you, you, you like that spark early on with a little bit of formal training, but making it fun, learning the medical science side. Mm-hmm. And then we start getting some future canine handlers, whether they're game wardens traditional law enforcement officers, maybe military handlers and everything. You can't have any bad things when you're working with dogs. So the more the merrier and kudos to what you're doing, Sarah, it's an incredible program and you're, and you're starting them young on not only in conservation, but, but in other, other acts of service. And we really appreciate that. It's awesome. Thank you. I, I love doing it. And it's something that I was, uh, I started in 4-H very young. So it's definitely in my blood and and I want to give back to these kids um, with the passion that I have. So I'm excited that I'm trying to bring in things that they can learn about. And these kids, they they want to be dog trainers. But if I can find a kid out there who likes hunting or fishing and they say, hey, you know what? What about a fishing game? And wait a minute, I have dog knowledge. And hey, what about a handler? So if, if I can get one kid to work with you guys into, into fishing game and being a handler, I, I would be a happy camper. awesome and and for a lot of kids it's a game changer too i know i showed in competition in 4-h when i was young and it really kept me focused because i had a very stubborn german shepherd that was you know very very good but you had to be on him all the time and you know i didn't have time to go out and find trouble so to speak it was always you know train your dog train your dog train your dog because you know saturday we have a competition and having all my trophies on the wall didn't help me when my son started seeing those and the nice thing is (laughs) andrew hates to read and he started doing research and started reading about dogs and i think the only book he's ever read is where the red fern grows yeah yeah sad, sad sad story but, but to get him going and get him engaged, and, and like you said, Sarah, to go down and meet other kids of like minds and start to study all about dogs. When, when kids get together and they study about dogs, it just cracks me up because I just wonder what the other kids are thinking when they're looking at those kids. And they're saying, you know, they're not the computer kids. They're not the, 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 the phone kids. They're out there, you know, asking questions about the dogs, and, and they know it, too. Some of these kids are so sharp. I am like, wow. Uh, they correct wow, me at times. Yeah. So it's it's just a <laughs> 4-H bun- builds those fundamentals no matter what part of 4-H you're in. It, it builds those fundamentals to make us 
contributing human beings and I, I think it's just a, an awesome awesome thing to do and dogs like you said Sarah are easy most everybody can, can 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 engage those dogs and do those find a local club if there's not a local club you can start a family club and still have a canine and, and do the same thing that you know the clubs do and with zoom my goodness now you can uh, do your 4-H you club so on much, zoom yeah. <laughs> Yeah. which I don't like. And, and, Wayne, <laughs> and Wayne, to that point, Sarah chiming in here, you know, the, the greatest thing about this is what I think what you just said, Wayne, is this isn't, you know, it's getting away from digital technology where we're just on phones, we're just on computers, we're just gaming, we're just indoors. We're kind of, we talk a lot, Sarah, on our podcast about losing the love for the outdoor resources and Absolutely. conservation, what, whatever, just being outdoors for the sake of mental health and understanding and being aware of the environment and how healthy it is for all of us. So, the more we can get kids involved through these 4-H programs, the better. And coming from the West Coast, specifically the Silicon Valley, where I was born and raised, we have a great wooded complement in all those foothills around the valley. But if you're in the valley, 4-H is like a foreign language to those kids, <laughs> I can tell you right now. Absolutely. It's just, you know, you're just not happening. So for, for our listeners and, and viewers, how do kids, say, from a city environment way out on the West Coast, San Francisco, L.A., say, Silicon Valley, or any of the big you know, population centers throughout the country. How do they get involved if they want to do this coming from the city and they haven't been exposed to it by their folks or have a, a tradition of it? I was hoping you were going to ask that. Um, so 4-H is it's a worldwide organization and okay. it's an organization that's open for youth from the ages of five to 18. And there is everything 4-H related from, as we talked about, livestock to robotics to cooking, to community service, nice. to public speaking, and you name it, to gardening, to canning, to knitting, to sewing. And for those kids who don't live in an area where they have a dog or can have a dog, where they're more in the city, they're, what they would need to do, and anyone would contact their university, their state university. So with us, it's University of New Hampshire. And you can do a search for your state and 4-H, and they will hook you up with the cooperative extension within your county. And that's, that's how you get in contact with that. But as I mentioned, those, those kids that are in the city or families in the city, they have programs for, and there's huge food insecurities across every part of the state where people don't know where the meal is coming from. They have programs and they have curriculum for these kids to, and they'll provide the seeds. Well, they'll teach these kids how to grow um, window box gardens so they can grow their tomatoes. They can grow carrots and lettuce and that sort of thing. So they can help contribute to growing their own food and they learn about how seeds grow, what they need and that sort of thing. But, um, but it's something that can be done in the city. It's not just something that's done because there's no land. There are curriculum for, as I mentioned, robotics and a lot of the home, home crafts that people can do. So just because if, if your child has an interest in anything, there's a curriculum for it. Um, and they would just need to contact their state university or just do a, a search for uh, 4-H in the county that you live in, and they will hook you up. They'll hook these families up and, and to find out what 4-H is available. There's also after-school programs for, um, for 4-H as well, where 4-H goes into the schools and after school um, they do projects as well. So that's another way 4-H is trying to get to, to kids. It's not just a county club or, or a club in your in your neighborhood. Yeah, that, that's great to know that the city, 
the cities have that program available too. And that's something we can definitely help promote and, and get more kids involved. That's super good news. And thank you for that. No doubt. No, thank, thank you, you so much, Sarah, for joining us and your contribution to youth through 4-H. As we experienced it growing up, I think our children and so many other children's benefit from it. I I'm agree. Certainly glad we could promote it. Do it on dogs too. Yeah, that's where my love was and still is, is dogs. So it, it, it just, it comes easy for me, comes easy for my, my son, comes easy for the kids that I work with. So, and it's just good to, to see them interact and get that relationship with their dog because, uh, yeah, it's priceless. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for being on, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We are with Lieutenant William Boudreau, who is in charge of the state canine division. Before we start getting into this interview, I just want to, uh, A, A, we're going to dedicate this to uh, Bill's dog has uh, passed away, unfortunately. So this whole podcast is dedicated. But in turn, uh, I am a 4-H dog club leader. And with this coronavirus going on, Bill, it's been kind of crazy. So we're doing different things online. And one of the things that the 4-H leaders have charged me to do with my podcast is come up with some kind of canine dog podcast that the kids can listen to and, and get something out. Knowing my connections to New Hampshire, Fishing Game, and the Northwoods Law Dogs, I think that they were targeting me for a specific reason to talk to you so they could get a feel for the Northwoods Law canines. And I'm, I'm hoping that's what we're going to do. So, hey, we'll start with you with, with uh, you know, your dog, Ruby. Uh, what a great dog she was. And uh, your yeah, your whole career using her, training her, and then developing into the leader of the canine team, which uh, is pretty awesome. And I, I watched that in my tenure too. So, uh, you know, that, that's been a great, great program. So thank you for joining us, and I, and I appreciate it. So how long have you been a canine officer? Uh, so I, I've been a canine officer for about uh, nine years now. Um, I got Ruby when she was a year old. Uh, I went with Mark Hensel, who was kind of the, the founder of our, our current modern-day canine program at Fishing Game. Uh, we went and picked her from a, a litter over in Maine, and uh, Mark Hensel put us through the, the whole initial training, which was about 400 hours of training uh, that we did right off the bat. Uh, Ruby was a year old when I got her, so she, was, uh, you know, she, she wasn't a puppy. I, the, lucky for me, I got to miss all the, uh, the puppy stuff. You know, the, the uh, chewing things, the going to the bathroom in the house, that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but at a year old, I could jump right into the training. And uh, we got certified right away. And I did it for about eight years until she passed away this fall. Um, she got, got pretty sick and uh, we weren't able to, you know, weren't able to, to get her any better and had to make that tough choice, which, uh, which was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, 
Have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah, no, you bring up a few points there that, you know, A, Mark Hensel went down to Florida and got traded as a canine trainer and brought that back to New Hampshire and, and, and started this program. And certainly my hat's off to him because he was a very dedicated officer, especially for this program. I mean, yes, he was uh, did a great job at, at starting this and, you know, leaving a legacy of, of you guys performing at the standard that, that he set. So that, that that's pretty oh, impressive. Yeah, he was, uh, he was extremely dedicated to it, extremely knowledgeable. And uh, like you said, he went down to Florida. Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission has one of the premier canine training uh, programs down there. So Mark went down there, came back, and uh, myself and Ruby and uh, Bob Mancini and Ruger went through the training with Mark. So we both came out, uh, trained canine handlers um, under the training of Mark Hensel. Mm. So. He, uh, he certainly knew his stuff, and uh, he definitely got us on the right path. And now we have have three dogs and for a fishing game, and we're hoping to get a fourth here actually um, the end of this summer, early fall. Nice, nice. That, that, that's, that's great. That's great. And, and, you know, when you talk about getting a dog at a year old, I, I started training dogs, geez, in 4-H when I was probably 14, I think. So the same age as my son. And I kind of, he sees all my trophies and all my ribbons hanging on the wall. And that's kind of what got him into the 4-H dog program. So we started training and showing last year. And Andrew did extremely well with his dog. And of course, I've always had German Shepherds. And you, you get kind of used to your breeds and stuff. And he had to have a German wire hair pointer. And I was like, and I got to remember it's his dog and not mine. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in this certain, in, in training, there's certain kind of thoughts you have, you know, a year old dog is great because like you said, you can jump in training and then there's the thought of as there are puppies, they bond more and da, 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 da. And I'm, I'm in for the year training. I could skip that puppy phase too, but maybe it's me. I could have skipped the baby phase with my son too. So yeah, I'm on the same boat. So all, all the female 4-H dog leaders are going to kill me at this point. So yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, so anyways, but uh, that's that's the theory. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, at a year old, let the puppy be a puppy until a year and then start training. And then the other theory is, uh, you know, start working them as, as a puppy and, and through up so you have that foundational stuff. But they don't really start learning until about a year, do they? Yeah, I mean, we, we've done both now. Um, with, with Ruby, she was about a year old. She came with some obedience and, and that kind of thing, but nothing as far as what we eventually get certified in. You know, the, our two newest dogs, Cora and Moxie, we both, both of those dogs, the department um, and their handlers picked up when they were, you know, months old so, or weeks old. So we've done both. I mean, we started training Cora and Moxie when they were little tiny puppies. They were doing, you know, 100 yard tracks through the woods. It's actually worked out both ways. You know, some people prefer one way or the other. You know, we've done it both in our, in our canine program and, and both ways have worked out well, luckily for us. So you don't see a real difference. No, I haven't seen a difference. I, I think they, I think Ruby picked it up quicker because she was a year older, but you also had that whole time to work with the handler because the, the dog picks it up quicker than the handler. 
it's the it's the handler who needs all the training and the practice you know for the most part obviously you know you got to teach the dog what they're doing but once they get it it's the handler that needs the the work and the practice reading the dog and so he knows what the dog is trying to to tell the handler yeah yeah and i've always found through training dogs is and i don't know if you've experienced this as well but females have a, a tendency to read dogs better. And I think it's that they just can read emotions better and have that connection a little bit better. And I've, I've noticed that females have a tendency to be better trainers or better connected to their dog. But that's that's just what I've noticed. And and maybe you haven't. No, I mean, I, I, I haven't been doing this, you know, altogether that long. When I compare myself to like Mark Hensel, he was on his second dog. There's handlers out there that are on the second, third dog, you know, at, at other uh, at other agencies. So I still feel like I'm new to this. I didn't have a dog growing up. Um, mm. So I had to kind of learn everything, how to not only do the the mission that we need to do, but also just the owning a dog and, and you know, learning how to take care of a dog and all that. So um, I was definitely completely yellow to it all, knew nothing. And luckily I had, you know, Mark Hensel to, to help me out and, and get us on the on the right path and and get certified. And, and Ruby and I made all kinds of, of good cases. And, um, so now I, I kind of help teach some of the, our, our newer guys and uh, we're hoping to get Ken St. Pierre on, like I said, with a, uh, a dog this end of this summer, uh, early fall. So he'll be our fourth dog uh, for fishing game, which has been our goal for a while. We haven't been able to get there, but you know, knock on wood, it's going to happen this fall. Awesome. We'll have four dogs spread around the state. They can respond to fishing game calls, search and rescue calls, uh, our, our dogs back up, uh, police departments, state police, local police all the time. So, um, our, our canines are definitely busy, but it's, it's fun for the handler. That's why they do it. They put in a lot of work, but the re- reward is the calls that they get and seeing their dog find something or somebody that, you know, is missing or lost. So it's, it's, pr- it's pretty fun. You know, unfortunately now I'm a Lieutenant, so I'm not going to be able to get another dog. I just don't have the time with, with this position. So I'm going to kind of pass the torch to a new guy, Ken St. Pierre, and he'll be our, our fourth uh, canine handler. But, nice. Uh, I'm still, still kind of, still kind of got my claws in there a little bit and not letting go completely. So I get to, to help those guys out and train them, but I, I just don't have a, my own canine to work with. And I don't know if the listeners actually realize that sometimes having a canine can get in the way of promotion because if you have a canine, the investment that the agency puts into that canine and the time and then utilizing you as a canine handler, you know, sometimes you can put stripes on you and there's no issue. But once you get to that lieutenant, you have all these other things to do and your canine, and canine is supposed to be right up there proportionately and probably even more so because it's needed everywhere. So you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, sure. No, the, uh, that's, that's definitely an issue. Um, the canine, out of all the teams that we have, with a dive team, airbow team, the uh, firearms instructors, you know, in my, in my estimation, the canine guys put in way more time and training than any one of those other um, you know, specialty teams that we have. So it doesn't leave the time that they need to, to do the supervisor type duties because they're so busy with training their canines. Luckily, uh, our Colonel, Colonel Jordan, um, was very accommodating to me when I got promoted. Um, I've heard of stories at other agencies where a canine handler gets promoted and he has to give up the dog, which mm. um, I can't even imagine having to do that when you've put that much time and effort, you're with this dog 24-7, and then you get promoted and you 
you know, they, they take your dog and give it to somebody else or take it out of service completely. Luckily I, I didn't have that issue that they let me kept keep Ruby and I just, uh, you know, was able to, to try and do both. But yeah, there's states where if you have a dog, you're, you're most likely not going to get promoted because again, you have to put so much time and effort into that, into training that dog and working with that dog and responding to calls that it takes you away from the time that, you know, you may need if you got promoted to be doing those supervisor type things. Um, we've been able to work a, work a mix where we can do it. But like I said, some of those, I couldn't even imagine working with a dog for three, four years, and then you get promoted and you almost get penalized for getting promoted because you're losing your dog. But again, we luckily we've been able to work around that and make it work. Yeah, no, for sure. The Colonel Jordan is certainly a dog lover. Uh, probably not too many people know that what his dog he had was a Pomeranian. That's that little fuzzy dog. So I, I will say that he got he had to adopt. So his it was his daughter's originally. Yeah. He ended up having to take care of it. Yeah. But just so everybody knows that the Colonel's dog was a Pomeranian, but. <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate you letting people know that. Oh, I know, I know, and, and and I got so many stories about that little Pomeranian that I'm not going to tell. But it, it had a lot of character and it had a lot of attitude. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but he does love dogs. He he's and that that's so important. And to know to have the the top know how valuable dogs are to a to a division in locating lost people and finding evidence and making that a priority is, is so important. Yeah, do you remember some of your best cases with like Ruby and I mean maybe or maybe your first case that just, you know, that first find, that first, you know, it's got to be like yeah, a shot of adrenaline. Oh yeah, I mean I I don't I don't know if I remember my first find, but just just this spring is my first year without without her getting called to Turkey uh, cases, people shooting from the road or too mm. close to houses, not having a dog. I'm like, this is such a handicap, not having my dog to be able to find this stuff that she would find in two minutes, you know, mm. shotgun shells, wads. She would find all that stuff in minutes. And here I am walking around for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours and may or may not find what I'm looking for. One of my favorite ones was uh, she actually tracked, we tracked a, a bank robber. Um, we happened to be in the next town over uh, some guy went in with a gun, stuck up a bank, uh, you know, took a bunch of money, ran off. The uh, tellers went to the door and saw him run off into the woods. Again, we were like 15 minutes away, so we raced over there and we uh, we tracked him through the woods about 300 yards and came to field where his vehicle was parked. Um, so he was already gone, but based on where he was parked, we were able to find a surveillance video on a business that was near there. The Ridge Police Department ended up solving the case and catching this guy and arresting him uh, down in like South Carolina or something for, for robbing a bank. And the funny thing was I had pinched this guy the year before for an illegal deer bait. So that's actually, I've, I've, uh, I've pinched two, two people that have ended up to go on to rob banks. Oh man. <laughs> Start off with fishing game and go to bank robberies, I guess. Uh, I can't say I've ever did one. So you're, you're up double digit, you know, that's pretty yeah. impressive. And that that that's really really cool. I mean, to be able to put that case together, and that that's a huge case. I mean, the, they must yeah, have been that psyched. Was pretty neat. That was that was right at the beginning when I first got her too. I mean, she's found dozens and dozens of and made me dozens of cases and other officers' cases, finding shells and wads. That's kind of you know our dogs. That's our our bread and butter for the department. Mm. Um, they're also trained. They're trained in tracking. They're uh, they're certified in tracking. They're certified in articles or evidence detection. 
So anything with human scent, if it's been handled or touched by somebody, they're going to find that and down on it. Um, but we also specifically train with gunpowder. So if they find that again, they'll down on it with, a, with it between their paws. Uh, and then we also do fish and wildlife detection. So we do uh, fish, venison, and turkey. And when they find that, they'll scratch at it aggressively, uh, trying to get to the source of it. Yeah, most of our cases were, were definitely the shell casings, the wads from shotgun shells. But I mean, we've we've been called to numerous lost people. And one of the things I get to do at, at the end of the year is I would put together our uh, summary of cases for the year. So I have all the other canine handlers send me all their cases for the year. So I get to go through each one. They do a brief little write-up, put it into you know categories, search and rescue, fishing game law enforcement, or other law enforcement agency assist. It's just, you always feel like you're not getting that many calls until you sit down and tally it up. And you're like, wow, we've made a lot of fines. We've responded to a lot of calls. We're, we're being called uh, over a hundred times a year, our canines in, in New Hampshire for, like I said, search and rescue, fishing game law enforcement, or helping out other agencies. So it's, you know, it's definitely a, an invaluable tool. The dogs can do so much for you. And we do put a lot of work into it, but we get a lot in return for, for doing it. Yeah, no, no doubt. That's a uh, pretty, pretty impressive. A lot, a lot of work goes into that. And I know we've developed a relationship uh, with the Vermont trainer or the Vermont canine program. Can you, can you go in? Uh, let's start from the beginning, man. That guy, you've selected a new guy, a, uh, St. Pierre is going to be coming up uh, and he's going to get a dog. How's that? Can we go through that process? Yep. So, um, so at Mark Hensel was the officer we talked about earlier that started our program. He actually ended up leaving and going to work for state police. When that happened, we had to find another place to get certified or to have a trainer. Uh, we had taken some classes over at the Vermont Police Academy. They do things really well over there. Uh, they have their own at their at the Vermont Police Academy. They have their own canine building. They have bunk rooms for canine handlers and with kennels in the rooms. So they they really do it well. And we called them up and said, Hey, would we be able to come over there for our trainings in New Hampshire? We don't, the New Hampshire police Academy doesn't have a a defined standard for canine handlers of their own. They fall back on the federal standard, which is 16 hours a month. We go to Vermont uh, to do our training. Now we get the 16 hours a month, but actually our, again, uh, Colonel Jordan has been so supportive of this canine program He's allowed us to have every Monday dedicated to canine training. So our dogs are getting twice the training that most law enforcement canines are getting. The, the minimum is 16. We do twice that. We, we try and get together every single Monday. Um, and so we go through Bobby Ryan, who's the head canine instructor over in Vermont. Over in Vermont, all agencies go to the same academy, same training. So when we get a new guy like Ken St. Pierre, he was just recently picked to be the next uh, canine handler. When he gets his dog, uh, we're going to start training it kind of in-house with just the New Hampshire fishing game guys. And then once he's old enough, he'll go to a, a tracking school in Vermont. He'll do that for several weeks in Vermont. And then he usually, they'll pro- he'll probably get certified in fish and wildlife and articles while he's there doing the tracking school. Um, he'll stay over there at the academy. And then uh, once he once he finishes that, he comes out of there, he's certified. And then uh, every year we have to pass a certification test again to stay to stay certified. And you have to, again, have to meet that minimum 16 hours a month. So, so Ken will be picking out a dog again, hopefully this fall, and then he'll go to Vermont and, and start the process. And uh, 
it'll be a lot. It's overwhelming. I remember when I did it, I was, you know, the first couple of weeks, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I, what did I get into here? This is, I'm screwing everything up. I can't figure this out. And then once I got it, then it was, you know, then it was a lot of fun. It was still a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. Once it, you and the dog kind of click and you, you get it, you know what you're doing and you know what the dog's telling you. So that's what Ken's got to look forward to. Yeah, and it's it's physically demanding too. Those tracks, I mean, they gain in length and gain in length and gain in length, and that then pretty much you're, you're running. You I mean you've done over a mile track, right? Yeah. So now not having a dog, I uh, am falling back out of shape. That was. Hey, you're going to be a lieutenant. You're running that chair more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, our certification track now for these guys is two miles through the woods. Wow. So just to be certified, they have to do a two mile long track that's an hour old. So awesome. That's pretty impressive to to follow and go exactly where somebody went an hour ago and followed that person for, you know, for two miles. And that's a, that's the certification track. We're actually, our guys are going to be running them through uh, that certification track on Monday. So hopefully everybody's uh, ready to go. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I remember Eric Fluet on his first find too. That kid was so, so excited. It was crazy. Right. After all the work you put in, when you finally find something and everything happens, it's, it's awesome. Oh yeah, no, I uh, the, the kid was ecstatic. He was he was uh, out, out of out of this world. He was just so happy that first find, you know, the golden egg or something. It was just uh, finding that lost person, and it was a dementia older person in the woods, and he was just ecstatic. It's just great, and it's a great team effort oh, and they, too. And they still, yeah, I mean, we still so we have a you know a canine text that we all the group text of all the canine handlers and. Uh, Everybody, whenever they make a find, they're sending pictures, they're sending the track, they're sending it to us just to because they're excited about it and they're happy that they were successful in their search and they let the other canine handlers know. Um, Bob and Ruger, I mean, they've been doing it as long as I have. And, uh, you know, Bob still gets super excited about it. He just sent me a text the other night. He tracked some guy that had taken off on a dirt bike and he found where the guy had hidden the helmet and everything. So, um <sighs> What it's, a great uh, scent article cool. to a helmet. It doesn't get any better than that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. No, I'm, sh- I'm sure the, the 4-H kids are going to be excited to hear about, uh, you know, what we're going to plan on talking to some of the other handlers and uh, talk about their exploits. And the nice thing is they get to see them on Northwoods Law. We'll put the podcast together with the Northwoods Law. And it's just, uh, I think it's inspiring for the, the 4-H uh, dog kids to train their dogs to the, the levels because they're seeing what you guys are doing on TV with them. And now here they are just trying to do basic obedience and stuff. And then they build up through certain stages and uh, have that competition as well and uh, have that bond with their dog. So I, th- I think it's a pretty awesome way to, to go about it. And if they want to, you know, currently my son wants to, to get do something with animals. So whether that's a vet, whether that's a trainer, and there's been so much more training opportunities the last few years with, uh, you know, detection dogs for sure. Terrorism up and uh, just all the detection dogs. And I think the quality of the training has jumped up too because we had to put up our game. So I think, have you seen that as well? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, the, the training has been has been so narrowed down and, and made more efficient that everybody's pretty much on the same page now. Mm. And the detection dogs, I think, are, are, are are the biggest, uh, or the most common, um, dog right now. Um, but you also have the, you know, the apprehension dogs that do the bite work and all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. 
everything's pretty, everything's pretty standardized. There's different types of certifications. We use Vermont. We used to use the United States Police Canine Association. There's a NAPWADA certification, which is a North American Police Working Dog Association, I think. So there's different, different uh, ways of getting certified, but they're all pretty much doing the same thing, same training, because it's, it's just been narrowed down and fine-tuned so much that you know the instructors know what they're doing and they can get the, the handlers and the dogs going pretty, pretty quickly. You know, making making cases and getting certified pretty quickly. Mm. No, that, that's uh, that's great. I really appreciate uh, all you uh, you do in running that canine program uh, as a lieutenant. What you and Ruby did as as handlers. Uh, I know I called you up to the north uh, on several occasions because I know the yeah. value of a canine and have you run through some scenarios and uh, see if we can find the evidence because that's the most important part of building a case is finding evidence and that's what those dogs do best. Right. And she was wicked energetic. That's what the guys want to do. But- yeah, no, go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off. But. Oh, no, right. Yeah, no. And that's that's what these canine handlers want to do. They want to go to things. They don't want to put in all this time and effort training and then not get any calls. So they, they don't mind when they get the call to, you know, travel halfway across the state up to Coas County to help another officer out. You know, and we're, we're getting called by state police major crimes now pretty frequently to find shell casings or firearms. You know, they, it looks good for the department. And uh, the guys enjoy it. They want to be called because they're putting in all this effort. Like you had mentioned earlier on Northwoods Law, the I think the canines have been probably the most popular part of that TV mm-hmm. show. Um, people love watching the dogs work and watching how happy they are when they are working. Yeah. The dogs love to work, don't they? Right, yeah. They're working just to play with you and have, have fun with you. So um, that's all they're working for is that calm, that reward. So yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. That tail's going 90 miles an hour because they know what they get to do as soon as they, yeah. they get this task done. They can uh, play play with that Kong. So that's 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 motivation right there. Uh, right. No, that, 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 that's pretty neat. So, yeah, and, it, and it's tough when you ha- have any dog to, to, to lose a dog because it's it's part of your family. I mean, and you never having a dog before, it's, it was like your first dog, Ruby. That's that's. That's even tougher because you've never been through that. Yeah. I mean, I've lost several dogs over the year, and man, I cry like a baby every time. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing yeah, for you, it, for your family. It, it is, yeah. It was tough on everybody. It was uh, a lot harder than I thought it was going to be because it was it was pretty unexpected too. I thought she was going to be able to get better. We'd get her on some medication and we'd get it figured out, but it was unexpected. It it hurt pretty bad. It was when she comes to work with you, she's with me twenty four seven. Yeah, I'm with her more than my wife and kids. You know, she's at home with me. She's she's in the truck with me all day long. So it was it was tough. Mm-hmm. But she was a good dog, but I mean, when uh, when they put it out on on Facebook and stuff, our department Facebook page, I I probably received easily 150 letters from people across the country. You know, just about every state, I received a piece of mail telling me how much people enjoyed watching Ruby on the show. So that was that was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah Rintintin getting at that. <laughs> yeah. I should have said Lassie. No one never even remembers Rintintin. <laughs> yeah, no, Barely remember Lassie. <laughs> Scooby Doo. Uh... <laughs> yeah, getting, getting closer. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, well, th- thanks for taking the time, Bill, and, and, and kind of framing. 
the, the New Hampshire Canine Program, framing what uh, you know people are seeing on Northwoods Law. Uh, we're going to continue and uh, talk with uh, some of the other canine handlers too, and uh, tell get a few stories from them. And uh, again, this is for the, the New Hampshire 4-H dog clubs, but all the 4-H dog clubs across the nation. I hope they they tune in and listen to this and uh, watch Northwoods Law. And it, and it's awesome to see some of the things that you're learning as a young 4-H dog handler being done professionally on TV and watching these dogs work just like your dog. And hopefully they can relate to that. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. We're going to roll right in with New Hampshire fishing game canine handlers. And our first one up is James Benvenuti who is handling canine Cora. And thanks for joining us, James. I really appreciate this. Uh, this whole episode's dedicated to Ruby and uh, also the New Hampshire 4-H dog club since they can't practice training and anything like that. We are doing this podcast to, to give them some quizzes, give them some knowledge, to give them some working, you know, after 4-H, there's still stuff you can do as a career if you want or, or, or something else to continue dog training. So since we haven't been able to get together as a 4-H dog club and train. So, but, so thank you very much for joining us on yeah, a busy day. Yeah. So how long have you and Canine Core been a team? Uh, we've been a team since uh, about June of, well, she was born in June. So September of uh, 2016. So we're going on four years now. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. It goes by pretty quick. I mean, you know, we, we started out right, at, right from when she was a puppy, right pick, picking her out from the litter. Yeah, so you rolled in, and tell us about that selection. Cora was, she was one of four, so it wasn't a big litter to pick from. Um, it makes know, it, it easier. It, it kind of yeah, made us nervous going into it, hoping, hoping there was a dog there, a puppy, um, that met what we were looking for. And, you know, there isn't a whole lot to look for in a six, six-week-old puppy, but... You know, we were just hoping she was good at, you know, a little bit of fetch and some hide and seek at that point. So, mm-hmm. uh, so when she, uh, when we were introduced to the litter, they all came up, they all came running out of a walk-in, walkout basement. And three of the puppies came running right up to our legs, you know, which is great. You know, they were social. They wanted to be around people. And that last, the last dog, which was Cora, she came out and, you know, her nose went right to the ground. She started sniffing up around the steps and just, she didn't, didn't care about us whatsoever. She was just <laughs> curious. Um, and that, that carries true to this day. She's, she's sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's a curse. She's got a mind of her own. That's where she got her start right there. Huh. That, that, that's great. And you go in, you play a little fetch and you just kind of get a feeling for the puppy, huh? Yeah. It's, uh, there's, a. Uh, there's a fancy name called, it's called the Volhard puppy test that we put them through, which is basically a, just a fancy name to, to see how well they can fetch and play hide and seek. You know, we, we, we actually time them. We'll take their favorite toy at the time and one person will hold the dog or hold the puppy. We'll show them the toy. We'll throw it out in front of them just out of sight and we'll time them to see how long they'll look for it to see if they have that, you know, that drive to, to find what they want. 
you know, the ones that look for a few seconds and give up and, you know, and then go play with their, their partners. And yeah, that's maybe not quite what we're looking for. You know, we want, we want the puppy that's got the drive and the motivation to find you know, what they want. And so we can transition that later in the future. Yeah. And she really likes to do that right now, right? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, she's, it's all about finding what, you know, what motivates them and what drives them. Our, our dogs are all motivated, um, by just a, uh, a Kong on a rope and that's, that's their favorite toy. That's what they live for. That's what they play with. Core is a little bit different. She's, she's very food motivated, which is different from mm. our other dogs. If she could stand on her head, she would for a piece of kibble, which is great because <laughs> I can I can use that to my advantage. And when we have when we have trouble during training and stuff, you know, I'll I'll pull out a special snack in the back of the truck. I'll show it to her, and she she's smart enough to figure out uh, that that's what she's working for. And you'll you'll see her actually work harder, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah, that's that's really neat. Uh, the drive is food on that, and it's and finding that drive when you're training is so key to find what they really really want. Whether it's the ball, whether it's the praise, whether it's food, and uh, I've found out different dogs do different things, and that's that's kind of unique to to Cora, I, I think, because I've, I've been around Moxie, and she is certainly a play orientated, ball orientated, uh, more than food. I think, although she likes yeah. her food too. <laughs> Yeah, yep, no, no doubt. Mm. Coral, I mean, she'll take a ball. She'll play Kong all day long, but she she looks for the food. When she finds that person at the end of the track or finds that shell casing she's looking for, she's looking looking in your hand to find that that tree first, and then then she wants to play. Mm. So I guess, I guess she gets both. She gets both. So maybe she's spoiled. I don't know. Right, and that's kind of a unique name, Cora. Uh, how'd you come up with that one? Well, the funny part about it is I didn't actually come up with it. Um, <laughs> yep, which is even better. So we were, uh, me and uh, actually Bob Mancini and my wife were all sitting around the kitchen table when we when we went to go pick her out, trying to figure out names. And, and my wife was actually the one to come up with CORA. CORA stands for Conservation Officer Relief Association, which kind of made me, you know, smack myself on the forehead. Like, how did I not think of that first right off? But she, uh, so she came up with that right off the bat. And, you know, that's our, that's our relief association. That's, that's our, you know, benevolent association. So it just, it's stuck and it's, it's worked. Right. And it puts it up front. And uh, now everybody that listens to this podcast or sees this podcast is going to know every time they see Cora, it's the New Hampshire Conservation Officer Relief Association. So that we all call Cora. So when we think of your dog, we think of our association. And that's a, that's a good segue, I think. That was an awesome, awesome thing to do to make it so much more connected to the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department, you know, officers especially. You know, that's, that, that was a dynamic name. And you bring an interesting point in, I mean, that, when you bring a canine into a home, it's a family decision. So your, your wife was right there making the decisions with you, right? Oh, big time. Yeah. When, uh, when, well, then Lieutenant Eastman, when he, when we, when he approached me and asked me if I had an interest in it, you know, right off the bat, of course I said yes. And I started learning a little bit about it and kind of had to take a step back and, and talk to, talk to the wife and let her know that what, what all comes into it. I mean, we, that's, uh, just the initial training is six weeks away from home mm. um, over in Vermont. So it's just that. And, and our family members end up as uh, basically decoys and, <laughs> and uh, search, search and rescue victims at home to get some training in when, you know, when we, when we haven't had a, had a lot during the week. And 
So they, they're a huge part of it. Um, you know, what my wife goes out and plays in the woods. She'll, you know, she, they have fun with it too. I know she, she'll actually leave question marks drawn in the dirt, trying to figure out which way we went to try to stump her. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's all a big, big game of hide and seek. And most of the time we win, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that sounds great. So your, your, your wife was just right into it from the selection point to the training to this is uh, definitely a, a family dog as well as a working dog for the state. Yeah, no, no doubt. She's uh, she worked, you know, we, her and I work hard together. We train hard together, but you know, we, we have, we have quality time at home as well. She's not confined to a kennel or a cage or anything by any stretch of the imagination. So <laughs> she's, no, she's part of the family when she's home. Oh, that's great. Do you remember your significant, your, your biggest, well, I should say your, your first significant find with her. You tell us about that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually just a couple of weeks after we got certified. You know, most of the focus we have is, uh, is on tracking. That's what, it's, it's one of the more more challenging aspects of, of handling our dog is tracking. Um, we, we were called up to District 3, um, the northwestern part of the state, to uh, track a man who had wandered off. He had Alzheimer's. So we tried to track from the house and tracked and tracked and tracked for quite a while and, you know, didn't, didn't end up working out it was very slow moving it was all hard surfaces which poses other challenges and and we had to call it before we found them um so we transitioned into doing some area searches later in the day in the very last spot we searched i'll never forget it was uh me kevin bronson and josiah town we were walking down this logging road and cora was kind of just she was beat she was i just had her out of the truck with me i thought more more so just to just to have her with me and she was so tired and Towards the end of the day, I didn't really have much much hope in it, but we were bebopping along, along down this logging road, and she just starts jumping into this brush pile, brush that was stacked right up along the road. She couldn't get over it. She's still, you know, she's probably only a year old at that point. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? So I'm trying to call her off of it, and I finally look off into the clearing, and there's the guy. He's got a yellow hard hat on, and he was out out in the out in the middle of this clearing, stacking brush. You know, he thought he was back working in the woods. Know, 30 years ago hmm. and uh you know had i don't had core not jumped at jump tried to jump that pile and tried to get to him i don't i don't know if we would have looked that way i'd like to think we would have we would have saw him but she definitely definitely clued us in that he was he was there and i i credit i still to this day credit her for that find uh, yeah you know, that was that was pretty cool you guys are tired after a whole day of searching too not as sharp as at the beginning of the day so i could yeah. definitely put myself in your place as you're bebopping and the dog brings your attention. So, and Hey, <laughs> Hey, I'm tired, but I'm not down. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, that's the, certainly, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, is so important to, to find these people that, that wander away. And could you tell, um, you know, kind of your procedure too, because a lot of these kids, you know, are training their dogs in obedience and confirmation to get to, you know, the scene. What do you, what are you looking for? What do you do? And how do you start that track? It's, I mean, first and foremost, we try to get a, you know, a place last seen. Where, where was that person last, last seen? That's the first thing I want to know. The second thing I want to know is how many people have gone to look for that person. Um, contamination, I think, is our biggest enemy. I, I'm not so much worried about how old it is. I, you know, are, those, their noses are so powerful that if, if it's a clean area, they're going to pick, pick up what's out of place, um, you know, and that's human odor. What makes it hard for them is when, family members, then firefighters, then other police officers, and, you know, 
friends and family go look for this person, which is, you can't fault them for it. It's understandable. You mm-hmm. want to try to find them as quick as you can, but it, it's uh, it's a double-edged sword. Because if, if you don't find them and then you want a dog to find them, it just, it creates so much more odor to work through. Um, so it's, every situation is different. Uh, we, we had one last summer of a little kid that ran away from home and it was good. Everybody stayed out of the woods. Uh, the off, the respond, responding officer knew what, knew what he needed to do. And they, they pointed me right in the direction of right where he went in the woods and Corey had him footstep for footstep and half hour later he was back home. So when it's, when it's a clean area, it works like a charm, but that, you know, contamination can really play a big factor in it. Yeah. And you said uh, something that caught my attention. The dog is looking for the scent that is out of place. So it knows what's in place and it's looking for that. What's out of place, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's, if you, the way I imagine it is if you, you, you know, you, you step into a set of woods and you, you know, what, what odors are, are, you know, are natural and what you usually smell. Well, she, she's, she's trained to recognize, you know, human odor. So when she gets into an environment that smells like a wooded area and there's an odor of a, of a person, she's going to go to it. Mm. You know, that's, I, I think she just picks up first what's out of place. And then that recognition comes in of exactly what it is. And the same thing with an arc, an article search. If you send her for an article, she's looking for something that's out of place, correct? Right. Yep. Yep. So she, you know, she might, she might smell something that like, like you say, it's out of place. It could be, oh, I don't, I mean, it could be a critter for crying out loud. It could be a squirrel or a chipmunk or a skunk or something. She's going to smell that, investigate it, figure out that's not what she's looking for. And then go find that article that smells like gunpowder or human, human odor. And then, then she'll go to it and indicate on it, uh, telling me where, where it's at. But when it comes to your like wildlife detection and stuff, that's a specific odor she's looking for, correct? That's Yep, that's right. So um, our dogs are trained in, to find fish, venison, and turkey, and that's they'll, they'll all indicate on, on those specific odors. So the, what we train them to do is, you know, that venison has holds a different odor than beef or pork or something, you know, Mm. another cut of meat basically so it's um, that's that's what they're they're trained to trained to indicate on there cool and you're in your cruiser and is core in the back there and could you talk about you know the kind of uh how they how, how they ride and look at that yeah uh you got special wake her up. yeah that's awesome so they have their own spot in the back there oh that's great <laughs> Yeah, well, she poked her head out, and there she is. Yeah, yeah. She's got a little bit of attitude yeah, to her, doesn't her. she, James? Oh yeah, that's, that's kind of just why you know. She's like, uh, why'd you wake me up? She, that's right. Yeah, she uh, she knows she knows I'm not getting the collars out. She knows I'm not getting you know the tracking harness ready to go. She's oh. just kind of she's just kind of calm, cool, and collected until it's uh, until it's time to time to go to work. Awesome. That that's her spot in the back seat, basically, and it's all encaged and yep. for her protection so, and others, right? Yeah, yeah the, the cruisers are outfitted with three quarter um, three quarter aluminum kennels, so she's got a, it's a crew cab pickup. She's got three quarters of the back seat or two thirds of the back seat actually. So and that's all that's all encased in aluminum. So if we get into an accident, she's protected. And, yeah, and um, I, the truck's equipped with a with, with a heat alarm system, the whole nine yards, so she's not going to overheat in here on hot summer days either. So it'll turn on the air conditioner when it's getting too hot for her. And, and if the air conditioner doesn't work, it sounds off an alarm. So, you know, it's not working. So it doesn't overheat. Yep. Yep. That's right. It'll actually, it'll actually send an alert to my cell phone 
telling me it, it's reached its first stage of heating. You know, when it hits about 82 degrees, it'll send you a text, it'll kick the truck on. And then if it continues to heat up or for whatever reason, the AC is not working, an alarm will sound. There's, a, there's an exterior fan that'll kick on and blow air, outside air in. The horn will honk and it'll keep sending me alerts to my cell phone too. Awesome. Awesome. That's, uh, has it ever gone off on you? Oh yeah. In the middle of the night when I forget to turn it off and when I go home. <laughs> so the dog's not even in there and, uh, it's, it's telling you it's getting too oh, hot. No. <laughs> yep. She, she's upstairs with us and the, uh, the, 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 the alarm on the truck's going off. My neighbor's front lights are coming on <laughs> yelling at me. <laughs> yep. But, That's great. But no, it, it, it works like it should just about every day. You know, it's, if I'm out checking a fisherman on the beach and it's 90 degrees out, the truck, usually I leave it on anyways, but if I don't, it'll, it'll turn itself on. Um, and I don't have to worry about it. Nice. Nice. That's great. And you know what, just, uh, me and Bill touched on it, but it's, it's all volunteer money. Really. It's all donations that generates, you know, canine program. People can donate to the New Hampshire wildlife heritage foundation that goes directly to the canines. Then, it's, it just blows my mind that we've been able to pull this off. Three, looking for four dogs based on donations. That's awesome people do it's that. It's incredible. It, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, I think we estimate that it's about $2,000 a year uh, per per team uh, once they're outfitted. I mean, Once they're outfitted, yeah. To, to, outfit, to outfit a team is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars between the cruiser and the kennel and the heat alarm system and all the mm. equipment, the food and vet bills. It's just and the, the support we get for it is just it's unreal it's it's uh it blows my mind yeah no, that's that's awesome that, that that gets done that way and it makes it that much more special i think so you know thanks for sharing the, yourself and cora as a team and uh, those kind of those inside information that you don't always get on tv or anything else you know but certainly people can see you actually working cora on northwood's law which is pretty awesome <laughs> yeah it's a that's a pretty cool outlet to be able to kind of show off our skills a little bit and uh, yeah 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 the lassie of the rin tin tin i keep saying so, thanks again man i really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to share uh share your dog with us and that's uh pretty awesome yeah oh and i knew yeah, i know that all the kids that train in 4-h and, and do dog training growing up you know really like this and i think some of them want to continue on and maybe be a professional dog handler in the future which would be pretty awesome yeah it's it's the best job in the world it really does it just well it adds to the best job in the world i should say that yep that's well put man so hopefully we'll get some uh more 4-h dog handlers in the new hampshire fishing game department thank you very much so that Includes part one of the Northwoods Law Canines, New Hampshire Fishing Game Canines. So you've heard from William Boudreaux, who's lieutenant in charge of the canines, and our first dog, Canine Cora, with handler James Benvenuti. And heard some of the inside stories to that. So stay tuned for part two. We're going to catch up with some of the other handlers, maybe the future handlers, and, uh, Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. I hope you enjoyed that. Come back for part two in two weeks. Thank you. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, 
and other game wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.